All right, Jumbo say good morning. Let us begin. We begin by thanking our sponsors for today's share. To thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Kislev, Sammy Amalka Esterson for dedicating all the Shurim and Shoshos in memory of their parents, Yitzchok Leib Ben Aaron Akoin, Sarah Rachel Bas Barach Avram, and Hinda Bas Henech Ephraim. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and the family a Nechama. We thank our week of learning sponsors, Michal and Sarah Lipman and family in honor of Philip Sanfield's Siyum Hashas. May Philip and his wife Judy merit to make many more Siyumim and continue to inspire us all with their Torah and Maisim Tovim. Beautiful. We thank Bill Askin for dedicating this year, the Week of Learning, in honor of Chaim Rothschild. Appreciate, again, the beautiful sponsorship. And I will say, of course, we also dedicate our learning, Le'iloi Nishmas, L.E.K., Zichorim Levracha, who was the young man who was killed in a terror attack, in the in the old city yesterday, Slavaya was today, was today already, and we also of course in the schusivarufoshlema of the three others who were injured in this attack. Hashem, his Eliz and Shamshav and Aliyah and those who require refuah should have one together with Kol Chol Yisrael. And Abbas, with that, let us begin. We have a beautiful daf ahead of us. A beautiful daf ahead of us today. Um, today's daf is Yud. We are picking up Emir Hashem on the bottom of Tess Ahmed Bays. A lot, a lot to do. So, Moses, remember again, we are picking up. Uh, 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 I think we left off with. Where did we leave off? Parentheses. Kiman Good. So, Moses, remember again, yesterday's daf. We left off yesterday with really fascinating sugya, Machlokas Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. Namely, where does rain come from? So Rabbi Eliezer is of the opinion that the entire, that the world, excuse me, the rain comes from the Okainos, right? Comes from the ocean, right? Remember again, the water evaporates, ascends upwards, and ultimately again caught by the clouds. And then the clouds sweeten them. That was Lashon of Rabbi Eliezer. And then the rain comes down. Rabbi Yoshua explains that in fact, the rain really comes from the celestial waters. The waters, the celestial waters, which are the waters that reside above the Rakia. So the Imara says, So we'll say, who, according to who does the Pastor reflect when it says, Cheshparuch, who waters the mountains, Me'aliyosaf, from his upper chambers. So Rabbi Yochanan, Me'aliyosaf, it's the upper chambers of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Keman, Kirabi Yoshua. That's like Rabbi Yoshua. Because what's Rabbi Yoshua is of the opinion that halacha the rains come from the upper waters. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Eliezer will say, Kevan the salki lahasam, mashke me'aliyosav karilhu. Rabbi Eliezer will say, see, Rabbi Eliezer agrees that the waters ascend to the heavens. He agrees to that. He just, he just holds that the point of origin is here on earth. But once the waters ascend to the heavens, they essentially become what we'll call Upper waters. Because if you don't say this, they both say, interestingly enough, the Gemara recalls the passage from Devarim. Make your rains literally again, dust and dirt. How can you have dust and dirt which come down from the heavens? Rather, again, what you have to say is anything that originates on the earth, once it makes its way upward, is considered to be from the heavens. Hachanami, Sotu will say over here, the waters begin here on the earth, but once they ascend to the heavens, they become heavenly waters. Therefore, Mali Yosef Karila, 
Kemanos, let's all say good. So the Gemara asks, tell me, whose opinion is reflected in the following, in the following statement? Chodam Rebbe Chanino, Kones Kanid Mehayom, Nosing Ba'otzros Tehomos. So the Gemara says, how do you, how do you, how do you translate this Pasuk? Mi Garam, the Otzros Sheyismalubar, what causes ultimately, again, the storehouses, that they should be filled with grain? In other words, where does the rain come from that causes the storehouses to be filled with rain? So the Gemara says, Tehomos. It comes from the depths, which seems to indicate that rain originates where? Here on earth. To which the Gemara says, Krabi Eliezer. That reflects the view of Rabbi Eliezer, that ultimately, again, rain originates here on earth. Rabbi Yoshua, what will Rabbi Yoshua say? Hahu, top of Yud, hahu, bevriyoso shel olam. That's referring ultimately, again, to the creation of the world. The Pasuk is not necessarily talking about how rain is given to us or delivered to us now, but rather, again, it's talking about the actual creation of the world. Rashi says over here, Tav Rashi, Yod, Lamed Aleph, bevriyoso shel olam, because remember, again, in the beginning of creation, the entire world was covered with water. Rashi says, And caused the waters to gather in one place. Like one gathers water or wine in a wine skin. So again, Rabbi Yoshua will understand that the Pasuk itself is not referring to rain as much as it is referring ultimately to the creation of the world. So beautiful, we'll say, so that, that ultimately concludes the Gemara's discussion between the Machlokes, Rabbi Eliezer, and Rabbi Yoshua. We'll say, you know, on a deeper level, what's the Machlokes, right? What, what, are, what are they arguing about? Does rain come from the, does rain from, come from the ocean or does rain come from the celestial waters? So I will say, remember again, what we've come to see throughout this Masechta is that rain, of course, in general, we understand, rain is representative of bracha. So I say, so the Shiloh that the Gemara is dealing with over here is how do you generate bracha? Where does bracha come from? So Rabbi Eliezer says, bracha comes from this world. Ultimately, Rabbi Yoshua says, bracha comes from above. In Chassidus, there is the concept of Isra'usa Dila'ila and Isra'usa Dila'tasa. There is inspiration from below and inspiration from above. There are two different ways in which change is affected in this world. It's Arusa Dilatasa, which means on this earth, we have the ability to affect change through our actions. When I do what I'm supposed to do, when I live the way I'm supposed to live, I create an inspiration from below. I affect change through my behaviors. Isarusa Dilaila is this inspiration or awakening from above. That refers to times where Akadosh Baruch Hu does things for me even if I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I haven't done anything to earn this divine blessing, but nevertheless, it is coming down to me. So it almost appears over here that the Machlokis Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua is where, to what do we attribute ultimate bracha? So Rabbi Eliezer will say the bracha we have in this world is directly related to the amount of effort we expend. Water comes, kala olam kulo mimeme okainus. Rain comes from the earth. If we do what we are supposed to do, if we put in the requisite effort, if we behave, if we engage in the way we're supposed to, that results in blessing. And Rabbi Yeshua says, not really. The way most bracha in life comes from is it's as arusa dila'ila. 
It comes from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. It comes from the celestial sphere. Kula olam kulo mimayim ha'al yonim hushose. Ultimately, again, rain. Rain really comes from above, from the Ribbono Shalom. So an interesting machlok case in terms of how... Now, what's the answer? What's the answer? The answer is yes, right? Rabbi Levi Yitzchak, this is Rabbi Levi Yitzchak's first piece in Bereshis, where he discusses this concept of Isarusa de la Eila, Isarusa de la Tasa. And the answer is, of course, life is a combination of both. There are times, ultimately, where we incur, or we, when, we, when, we, when we receive bracha as a result of our actions... And there are times when we receive bracha because HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses to confer it upon us. These two opinions reflect these two sides of the bracha coin. Incredible. Says the Gimarabah, say beautiful Gimar ahead of us now. Tarabanon. Eretz Yisrael nivreis tchila. Eretz Yisrael was the first land that was created. V'chala olam kulo nivralabasov. The rest of the world was created after Eretz Yisrael. So Eretz Yisrael was the first creation. Shnei Amar, because the Pasuk says over here, from Mishle Ad Lo Asa Eretz Vichutsos. So I'll say, interesting the way the, 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 way the Gemara Darshan said, Ad Lo Asa Eretz, until HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Eretz Yisrael Vichutsos. Then he made the lands outside of Eretz Yisrael. Similarly, Eretz Yisrael Mashkos HaKadosh Baruch Hu Batsmo. Eretz Yisrael is sustained with rain from God Himself. Vichala Olam Kulo Ayyide Shaliach. And the rest of the world is sustained through a messenger. So we'll say, Gimari here highlighting the beauty and the centrality and the importance of Eretz Yisrael. It's the first land created. It's the land whose reign is given to them by HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Every other land has a shaliach. Every, we'll say, you know, this is the famous Gimara. Famous Gimara. That koladar ba'aretz kemisha in lo elaka. Whoever lives outside of Eretz Yisrael is as if he doesn't have a god. And again, the Rishonim struggled with us. What, what, what does that mean? Right? Living outside of Eretz Yisrael as if I don't have a God. There's this concept that Eretz Yisrael is sustained and Eretz Yisrael is guarded by the Ribbono Shal Olam himself. The rest of the world, each land has its own ministering angel. God kind of outsources the supervision of different lands to different angels Eretz Yisrael doesn't have a malach. Eretz Yisrael is only the Ribbono Shalom. So therefore the Gemara goes on. The Gemara says, Eretz Yisrael mashka osak alish parachu ba'atzav good. So the Gemara says, Eretz Yisrael mashka osak alish parachu ba'atzav mayim al p'nei chutzos. Literally again, Hashem places the rain al p'nei aretz on the face of the land. V'sholeach mayim, and he sends water, meaning the Gemara's understanding, sends water means what? that he gives, he vests an angel with the responsibility to oversee rainfall, ultimately again on the outside lands. Eretz Yisrael Shosem Egeshamim, Eretz Yisrael is sustained through rainwater. V'chala olam kulomitamsis. This is beautiful. The rest of the world only benefits from the remnant, from the remaining waters. In other words, primary rainfall comes to Eretz Yisrael, and the rest of the second day, we're talking about leftovers, right? And the rest of the world, the rest of the world gets the leftovers of Eretz Yisrael. Shneemar hanosin matar al aretz. Eretz Yisrael shoset tchila. But say first wide line, Yud Ahmed Aleph. Eretz Yisrael shoset tchila. Eretz Yisrael ultimately, again, it gets sustained first. Eretz Yisrael gets its rain first. V'chava olam kulo lebasof. And the rest of the world only gets the rain afterwards. Shene Amar Hanosin Matar Al Pene Oretz. 
Mashallah Adam. Suppose the Gemara gives an example. Mashallah Adam Shemegabala Sagnina. This can be compared to a person who's making cheese. Notel Asa Ochel Umaniachasapsolis. He eats the Ochel, right? So again, when making cheese, so the Ochel is the cheese. Now, what's the Psolas? The Psolas is the whey. Now, whey is significant also, right? Whey, 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 is, whey is very chashev. So the idea over here is when he's making the cheese, he eats the ochel, leaves aside the psola. So the idea, the Gemara says, Eretz Yisrael gets the ochel, Eretz Yisrael gets the rain that it needs, and then after that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu dispenses the remainder to the rest of the world. And this is very much in line with what we saw yesterday. Remember again, we saw yesterday that there are two things, there are two forms of bracha that come down from Shemayim. One is Geshem, and what's the other? What's the other? Parnasa. Remember the distinction between Geshem and Parnasa? What's the distinction? Right? Geshem could be excellent. Geshem could be altered according to individual need. Right? So if I need more rain, Echadosh Baruch Hu could alter Geshem for me. Parnasa is not altered. There is a certain volume of Parnasa that's going to come into this world. What can be altered is the allocation. So what it seems, and it's something very interesting over here, Parnasa comes down to Eretz Yisrael. The rest of the world, so to speak, gets the leftover Parnasa from Eretz Yisrael. It's incredible. So the Gemara says, Umaniyach hasap solas. Amramar, so the Gemara says, Amramar, mantikin hain ba'avin. So okay, well, so now we're jumping back for just a moment. So we just had a little Eretz Yisrael interruption, which was, uh, which was absolutely magnificently beautiful. The centrality of the Gemara, you know, it's, it's also interesting. You know, one of the things you see from this discussion is not all things are created equal. And I will say, it, it, isn't this an incredible use? So because often like in society, we're often taught that like, it's only fair if everything's the same, right? It's only fair if everyone wins. It's only fair if everyone gets a trophy, right? Everyone has to be the same. Everyone has to have the same. Everyone has, and, and the truth is, that's not the way Akadosh Baruch Hu created the world. They're, just like there are different people, there are different lands, there are different roles, there's different stations, there's, there's all different kinds of things in life. Life is not an even playing field. If I'm representing the Gullus Union, I'm saying to myself, this is a very discriminatory Gemara. Very discriminatory Gemara. What's going on over here? Eretz Yisrael, Eretz Yisrael gets everything and we get the leftovers? Eretz Yisrael gets everything and we get the And the answer is, yes. Yes, the... The Rebono Shal Olam did not build the universe upon the principle of equality for one simple reason. It's silly. It's silly. Not, not everything in the world is equal. Not every, equality is not the guiding light principle of the universe. What's the guiding light principle of the universe is functionality. And functionality requires different things to do different, to, to have different roles and to act in different ways at different times. Times. So you look at a Gemara like this, and Eretz Yisrael is better than everything else? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And such an important Yisrael, because so much energy is focused on placing everything and everyone on the same exact pedestal. And you see, that's not how the Rebano Shalola made this world. Such an incredible Yisrael. Anyway, the Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Amar Mar, but say, how do we know? Remember again, the Gemara mentioned before that the rain, right? The water, the water evaporates from the oceans, ascends into the clouds, and becomes sweetened in the clouds. So the Gemara says, where do we know that concept from? From where do we know that it comes to? Amdar Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yochanan, Ksev Chashchas Mayim 
of a shechakim. So, choshchos mayim means dark clouds. Uksiv, choshros mayim of a shechakim. It's interesting that the Torah, the, excuse me, the, the psukim refer to the clouds in two different ways. Remember again, this, the, the chosh, the choshchos mayim is tehillim, choshros mayim, I'm sorry, they're both tell them. So both say, so the idea over here is one, one, chashchas of, chashchas is dark, chashras is a sieve. So the Gemara says, so what does this mean? Chashras, I'm aveshchakim, shakol kaf, vishadi areish, vikari bey chashras. Right, we're called chashras. So we'll say, ultimately again, if you take the kaf, and you put it together with the reish. In other words, if you put those two words together, what you get is chashras. And I will say chashras is like heksher. It's like heksher. So what happens ultimately again when the waters ascend or when the waters rise into the clouds? Chashras. There's a heksher, right? Ultimately again, they are sweetened. The waters are salty. They come up from the oceans. Then they come to the clouds and they are sweetened. Rabbi Yeshua, bahani my darshibu. What does Rabbi Yeshua do with these? With these, because we also remember again this previous discussion goes according to Rabbi Eliezer, because Rabbi Eliezer is of the opinion that the waters begin here in the oceans and ascend up. As such, they need to be sweetened. But according to Rabbi Yoshua, who says that the rain comes from the upper waters, what does he do with these psukim? Savala ki zihirin mohi. Shavuos is very interesting. He, he dashes it as the following. The Haranani means, if, the, if you look at Rashi, Kisha'anan Kalish, if the clouds are very, are very thin. Literally, the Haranani means they're very light. If the clouds are very thin, Zi'irin Mohi, there is going to be very little rain. If you look at Rashi for just a moment. The Haranani, Kisha'anan Kalish, when the cloud is very, very thin or very light, ziirin mimohi. Okay, fine. When the clouds are very light, a little bit of rain. When the clouds are dark, sagyon mohi. There's going to be a lot of rain. Beautiful. So what is, according to his opinion, is the following idea. This is so beautiful. The upper waters are suspended by the word of God. Rashi says over here, it's almost right across in Rashi. This is truly beautiful. The upper waters don't rest on anything. Whereas the lower waters rest on the seabed, the upper waters don't rest on anything. So Rashi says rather, they're almost, they just pull. They pull together and they are suspended by the word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So beautiful. So the Uperoseyen, and what's the peros? What's the fruit of the upper waters? Megishamen. That's the rain. That's the rain. Shene'emar, mi pri ma'asecha tisba'aret. So kiman, who's the pain does this reflect? Rabbi Yoshua. Bo said it's Rabbi Yoshua who says that rain comes from the upper waters. But it's such, a, it's such an incredible, incredible imagery. It's also interesting, because I just want to point out, even this statement that the upper waters don't rest on anything is actually an interesting machlokas because there is a school of thought that say that says that the upper waters do rest on something. What do the upper waters rest upon? The rakia. That the rakia, the right, what we call the firmament of the sky, has a thickness, has a smichos to it, and that the upper waters rest on the rakia. But the Gemara here clearly says 
Our waters rest on nothing. They're just suspended by the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shabbosai tells you something so amazing, that the word of God is so powerful that it could keep something suspended. Sometimes in life, there's nothing else to hold on to, and there's nothing else to hold us up but the Dvar Hashem. And knowing that the Ribbono Shalom is whispering in my ear, and knowing that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always telling me how much he loves me, and how much he believes in me, and the words of Torah give me chizuk, sometimes when there's nothing else to hold you up in this world, the whisper of HaKadosh Baruch Hu always does. So the Gemara says, So Kiman, Krabi Yoshua, Rabbi Eliezer, what Rabbi Eliezer do with this Pasuk? What does he do with this dynamic? Hahu Baruch Hu, what's interesting. Rabbi Eliezer is not going to disagree with the fact that there are upper waters. What he disagrees with is where does rain come from? So he'll explain the Pasuk he's coming to is coming to describe the incredible handiwork of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But it's not necessarily coming to describe ultimately how the rain comes. I'm Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, Kula kulo mitamsis gan eden hushosa. So both say, this is actually quite beautiful. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, in fact, we said before that the world, the world drinks or benefits from the leftover rains of Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, in fact, the world really benefits from the leftover rains of Gan Eden. Shene'emar, as the Pasuk says, V'nahar yotze me'eden. So it's like, in fact, the truth is, over here, he's not really referring to rain. What he's referring to is water. Water in general. If you look at Rashi, V'nahar yotze me'eden, similar to over, She'gan Eden shosem in Agashom t'chilo, D'chisev v'nahar yotze me'gan Eden. So he's saying over here, even though the Pasuk is talking about a river, he's saying the way it works is like this. Rain falls in Gan Eden, that's where primary rain falls, and the rest of the world is sustained from the rainfall in Gan Eden. Quite beautiful. Tana, mitamsis beiskar shosetakrov. Because the Gemara says the raya to this is that from the leftover of rain that saturates a beiskar, you can go ahead and you could go ahead and water a tarkov. A Tarkov is one sixtieth of a beiskar. So too, the Gemara is going to explain over here that the world is one sixtieth of Gan Eden. So you have a concentration of rain. In a larger area, the leftover, the residual rain, has the ability to, to go ahead and sustain an area that is one sixtieth the size of the original Makom. Okay? So I will say, let's expound on that a little bit now. This is quite a beautiful Gemara. Tan Rabbanon. Eretz Mitzrayim, Havye Daladneos Parsa, Daladneos Parsa. Egypt is 400 Parsos by 400 Parsos. Vu Echad Mishishim Bekush. And that's only one sixtieth of the land of Kush. The Kush echad mishishim ba'olam, and Kush is one sixtieth of the world. The Olam echad mishishim began. The world is one sixtieth of the Gan. The Gan echad mishishim le'eden, and the Gan is one sixtieth of Eden. I will say this, by the way, is an often overlooked concept in Bereshis. That in Bereshis, you know, we often call it Gan Eden. But in fact, again, the location is actually the Gan Be Eden. There's really two different locations. There's a Gan, there's a garden that is in Eden, and then there is a general location called Eden. So that's the Gemara saying over here that the Gan is one sixtieth of Eden. So there's Eden, which is the larger area, and the Gan, which is where Adam Arishon was settled 
is an area within Eden itself. I will say it also becomes clear that Gan Eden seems to be a place not of this world, right? Because again, it just if you look the way the Gemara is framing it over here, that the Gan, right, the Olam is one sixtieth of the Gan. Sounds like the Gan is a much larger area somewhere else. The Gan Echad Mishishim La Eden. And the Gan is one sixtieth of Eden. Listen to this. The Eden Echad Misamech La Gehenim. And Eden is only one sixtieth of Gehenim. Nimsa. Therefore, it turns out, Kala Olam Kulo Kikisui Kedera La Gehenim. Turns out that the entire world is like a pot cover for Gehenim. The Rebbe say, amazingly enough, the largest thing that exists somehow in this universe is not Gan Eden, it's Gehenim. It's Gehenim. Which I will say, just what's the logic of that? Why does Gehenim have to be so big? All right, we kind of know why Gehenim has to be so big, right? Let's say, just to understand, because remember, what Gehenim also represents is, you know, the Gemara says elsewhere that, that everyone, except for Tadikim Gimurim, does some type of stint in Gehenim, just as a purging process. So ultimately, again, because because the kapara of Gehenim is necessary for everyone, seems to attest to the large size of it. It's pretty, pretty incredible. So the Gemara Sviyeshu, others say, Gehenim ain't Lashir. Others say, Gehenim is so large that it doesn't have Shabbos. I just want to point out to you, sometimes when you see Gemara's like this, it's very scary and overwhelming. Understand that Gehenim is a gift. And the reason why Gehenim is a gift is because at the end of the day, Gehenna is what allows us to spend eternity in Gan Eden. But the reality is that when we leave this world, we all have mistakes that we have to atone for. We all have a virus we have to atone for. And Gehenna gives us the opportunity to atone for those things that are broken. Gehenna gives us the opportunity to purge ourselves of those iniquities and impurities so that we can go on to Olam Hamas, so we can go on to Gan Eden. So, we can go on to Gan Eden. so although Gehenna is a scary thing, again, remember, the Ribbon Shal Olam does not really hand out punitive punishment. The Ribbon Shalom hands out restorative and rehabilitative consequences. So that's the power and, and uh, dare I say, you know, beauty of Gehenna, that it's the way station. It's the way station. It's the purging, cleansing, restorative, cathartic way station in order to be able to make it to my ultimate destination of Gan Eden. As such, the Gemara says the large size of it reflects the need that, that everyone needs to avail themselves of that cleansing power. Ve'eshomrim, others say, Eden ain't l'shir. Others say, no, it's not Gehenna that doesn't have a shear, but rather, again, it's Eden that doesn't have a shear. What's the Pasuk that seems to support this? So the Gemara quotes the Pasuk. Shochant, sorry. Shochant amayim rabim, rabos otsros bakitzech amos b'tzerech. So the Gemara says, mi garam. So the Gemara says, so mi garam lebavel, shi otsros seha meleos bar. So the Gemara says, what causes bavel? What causes Babel ultimately again that its storehouses should be filled with produce? Havi Omer, Amayim Rabim. Because Babel itself rests upon great waters. So we'll say the idea over here being, the idea of being Babel in general had moist soil, had wet soil. So, so Babel had very, I should say, very saturated soil. So because of that, they had, they had bountiful produce. Amarav, Atira Babel de Chatzda below Mitra. Let's say if you take a look at Rashi, Atira Babel, Babel is very rich. Why is Babel very rich? 
the chatzta below mitra. Ultimately, again, because they're able to harvest wheat without rain. So Abayi said, we know that Bava ultimately, again, is a sw- literally, Tovani Rashi says, swampy and muddy. Whether it literally means swampy and muddy, but it just means that the soil is very saturated. And ultimately, again, it is not dry. That is why Bavel ultimately, again, is able to go ahead. Bavel is able to go ahead and produce such wheat. Good. So we'll say that concludes this section. We'll say now we're going to do a little bit of fascinating halacha and then back in Mirat Hashem to some beautiful agarato and halacha as well. Says the Mishnah, we'll say, So we'll say we're transitioning now from Mashivaroch Amorid Ageshem, ultimately again to Vesein Tal Umater Livracha. So when do we begin to say Vesein Tal Umater Livracha? On the 3rd of Cheshvan. On the third of Cheshvan. So the Gemara Rabbi Gamil, Rabbi Gamil says, no, not on the third of Cheshvan, but rather when? Beshivabo. On the seventh of Cheshvan. Where do we get the seventh of Cheshvan from? Bo? Say to which the Gemara says, Tes Vav Yom Achar Hachag. This represents 15 days after the conclusion of Sukkis. Kedeshi Agia Achron Shebeisol Nahar Pras. So we'll say, the assumption is that the longest distance that someone who was Ola Regal was traveling back home was to the Euphrates. So it took approximately two weeks to travel from Yerushalayim to the Euphrates. So the seventh of Cheshvan represents two weeks after the conclusion of Sukkot. This giving the, the pilgrim with the largest, with the largest uh, distance, with the largest distance to travel, time to get home and not having them get stuck in the rain. If you take a look at Rashi, Rashi says over the first wide line, Kadesh Yagia, Achron Kilomar, Kodem Bias Maimlin Harpras, Shurachok Yoser. So I'll say, Sis Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Gamliel, therefore says, Allah Isa, we don't begin to say the same Tal Umatra Livracha, ultimately again until the seventh Hashur. So we'll say, but I have to, you have to understand, it's such a fascinating idea. Rain, rain is life. Rain is life. And how fascinating is it that Rabbi Gamliel is saying, we don't want to ask for rain. When it's conven- inconveniencing individuals who are traveling. How many people, but I just want to point out, how many people are traveling back to the Euphrates? I don't know. It's, it's, it's possible. That's Bavel. That's Bavel. But remember, I just want to point out see, the, fifth, the seventh of Cheshvan presupposes that when he's saying Yushalayim until, when he's saying Yushalayim until? The end of Yantiv. Do you have to sing Yushalayim until the end of Yantiv? No. The midst of Ali of the Regal is only the first days. You can go home, Chalamite. So it's interesting over here that we're worried about the person. Again, we don't want to inconvenience the person who chose to say Yushalayim longer. You don't have to say Yushalayim for the entire Yamtiv. He decided to say it for the entire Yamtiv, and now he's got a long walk back. He's got a two week journey back. It is an incredible Yusod. I will say, you know, in general, in general, the needs of the collective outweigh the needs of the individual. That, that, that is the Klau Gadol, certainly in Yiddishkeit, and the truth is the only way the world works. The needs of the collective always have to outweigh the needs of the individual. But what's interesting you see is that Halacha says when you can be sensitive to the needs of the individual and you cannot inconvenience the individual to service the collective, then do so. So Begamil says, give it another four days. Give it four days. Tanakam is saying, Gimel Chashvan. So Rabbi, Rabbi Gamil is saying, four days. Four days. All four more days, and just we know for sure that the furthest pilgrim will make it back home. So if you could go ahead and accommodate the rabbim without inconveniencing the yachid, then matovu manoim. If it's impossible, then the needs of the many out, out, outweigh the needs of the few. But if it's possible, if it's possible, why not? Why not? 
supposed to say, here we go. I'm Rabbi Lazar. Halacha Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Lazar says, the halacha follows Rabbi Gamliel. And I both say, this indeed is the halacha. In Eretz Yisrael, they begin to say the same tal umat alivracha on the 7th of Cheshvan. On the 7th of Cheshvan. Ah, what about in Chutz Laaretz? What about for us? So the Gemara says, Tanya, Chananya, Omer, Ubagola, At Shishim B'Tekufa. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, when do you begin to say, when do you begin to say, St. Talmud Levracha? 60 days after the autumnal equinox. Which I will say, why for us, we have this very interesting idea that the St. Talmud Levracha always begins when? December 4th. December 4th or December 5th. Right? December 4th, December 5th. So strange. So strange. Because I will say, again, remember, rain is based on seasons. Seasons are based on the solar calendar, not the lunar calendar. Actually, it's based on the equinox. So we begin to say the same Talmud Livracha 60 days after the autumnal equinox. Hence our December 4th start date. And I will say, now what I want to point out is something very interesting. Where does 60 days after the autumnal equinox become the date that we need rain? That's based on Bavel. That is based on Bavel. But what's, so just, we don't have really time, it's, it's beyond the scope of our discussion. There is a, a, there is a trove of rabbinic literature highlighting the idea that perhaps each region should really begin, in the Gullahs I'm talking about, should begin to say the same time when they need rain. In other words, both sides, just because in Bavel, 60 days after the autumnal equinox is when they need rain, it doesn't mean that's what they need for Europe, and it doesn't mean that's what they need for elsewhere, it doesn't mean that's what they need for North America. So there's a whole discussion in the post scheme about the concept, maybe in Gullahs, see, I was like, in other words, this is not like Ruchnius over here, this is Gashmius, this is Gashmius. So maybe everyone should start saying the same Talamatur of Racha when they reach it. So you see clearly the practice that developed is what started in Babel as the hub of diaspora Jewry kind of became the accepted practice for all diaspora Jewry. Even though I will say, interestingly enough, remember again, you have places, you have places, you have places that remember again around the world in the Gaulas have different seasons, right? So Australia has different uh, seasons than we. So nevertheless, again, in Gaulas, 60 days after the autumnal equinox, December 4th, is when we go ahead and begin to say, the same Talamat Alibracha. So the Gemara says, Amrach Hunabarhi Amr Shmuel. Halacha ki Hananyo. Talacha falls Hananyo. Ini, is that so? They Shmuel, from when do we begin to say the same Talumot? So they Shmuel, when should we do this? And he said, So he gave an interesting answer. He said, when this guy Tavos, that was his name, Rishba means he was a bird hunter, right? Tavos, the bird hunter, when he begins to go ahead and gather wood. See, they both say, you gather wood, right? Wood is only good for burning if what? If it's dry. So you, when, when, when would you bring wood into your storehouse? Before the rainy season. So Shmuel said, when you see Tavos Rishba bring in the wood, that's the time to begin to say the same Talmud Racha. That's the beginning of the rainy season. So I both say, so the Shmuel is not saying 60 days after the autumnal equinox. He's saying again, when Tavos Rishba brings in the wood, to which the Gemara says, Dilma It's possible that it's the same thing. In other words, when would Tavos Rishba bring in the wood? When would he do it? 60 days prior to the, or I should say, after the autumnal equinox. So the Gemara says, 
What about the 60th day itself? Is the 60th day like earlier and therefore no St. Talmud Libracha? Or is it like later and therefore we save the St. Talmud Libracha on day number 60 itself? Rav says the 60th day is like post 60 and therefore you save the St. Talmud Libracha. Ushmol Shmuel says Yom Shishim Kilifne Shishim. Ultimately, again, the 60th day. Is like before the sixty. I you don't say the same Talmud Libracha. I'm not going to make Yitzchak v'Simanach Eloi Bo Maya Tisay Lo Bay Maya. He said, "Right, remember this is the upper ones require water and the lower ones do not. In other words, water flows downwards. But I said anything that has a high elevation requires water." I.e. the 60th is put forward, right? He's saying to St. Talmud Libracha, the lower ones do not. Amra Papa, the halacha is hilchasa, yom shishim kilachach. Shinobo said, we pass again, this indeed is the halacha, that the 60th day, the 60th day is treated like post 60, and therefore halacha lamaisa, we actually begin to say the same Talmud Libracha on day number 60 itself. Shinobo says, therefore again, a beautiful pocket of halacha lamaisa over Eretz Yisrael, Begins to say the same Talmud Libracha on the seventh of Cheshvan. Golos begins to say it sixty days after the autumnal equinox, beginning on day sixty itself. Says the Mishnah. So we'll say, So now, interestingly enough, we begin to get into the halachos regarding the fast days. Now, now that we've spent all of this time focusing on the power of rain, and when we begin to ask for rain, now we begin to deal with the very dramatic and potentially traumatic issue of what happens if it. Doesn't rain. So says the Mishnah, So we'll say, so now we're 10 days into the rainy season. Because we're assuming the rainy season starts as of, right, 7th of Cheshvan. Even though you begin to say it actually really starts earlier. But I'll call it the official beginning of the season is when we begin to say, 7th of Cheshvan. 10 days go by. 17th of Cheshvan, no rain yet. What's that? So the individuals begin to fast three fasts. Now, I'll say again, I'll just mention it by the way. This is the power, hopefully, of those of you who are doing Mishnah Yomi, right? It's so incredible to come to a Daf Gimara and having seen the Mishnah. Having seen the Mishnah. And those of you who are not yet doing Mishnah Yomi, we just finished Mesechus Tainus. Today, we begin Mesechus Megillah. So if you're not doing it yet, it is a great time to jump in. A really great time to jump in. Fantastic time to jump in. It's almost too much fun to be called Torah. But let's say, and again, there happen to be still a couple of Mishnahis left as well. Join the WhatsApp group. You could, it's literally seven minutes. You can listen to it on your way to work. If you can't see it inside, incredible. Okay, so let's say anything. The Gemara the Mishnah says as follows. So now 17th of Cheshvan comes, did not yet start to rain. Individuals. Now we'll see who these individuals are. So we're going to see when it comes to rain, the first three fast days were not communal fast days. They were not observed by the community. They were observed by individuals. By individuals. So we'll, say, we'll, we'll discuss who those individuals are. We'll discuss who they are. So the Gemara says, Oakland Now, interesting enough, you could eat and drink the night before. See, I will say, remember again, we run into this issue in general on fast days. That really, it makes sense. When should a fast day really start? When should a fast day start? The night before, at the beginning of the calendrical date. But again, but again, these fast days, which are of less severity, did not begin at night. They began at dawn. At dawn. So therefore, again, the night before, you could eat and drink. 
on the day the fast day itself, you could do malacha, right? Work, rechitza, washing, sicha, anointing, milas, sandal wearing, shoes, tashmishamita, physical intimacy. She so says, you begin to see that these fast days, on the fast day itself, between dawn and nightfall, you can't eat, you can't drink, but everything else is permitted. What happens if Rosh Chodesh Kislev comes? So we'll say, so now, now, another, another, another 17 days, 13 days, sorry, have at least 13 days, have passed. Now it's Rosh Chodesh Kislev and still no rain. At this point in time, now, the Basin Institute's communal fast days. Basin goes in Shalosh Taniyos al At this point in time, Basin Institute's communal fast days. Three fast days. Three fast days. Once again, I will say in this first unit of three. So remember again, this is actually fast days four, five, and six. But one, two, and three were only observed by individuals. Four, five, and six are the first time that we have communal fast days. Now these communal fast days, once again, you're allowed to eat and drink the night before. And we're talking about malacha, barachitza, b'sicham nila, sasan, tashashanita. And again, for this first three, this first three of communal fast days, which again, in our spectrum, in our criteria, are four, five, and six, also these are more lenient, and therefore during the day, during the days, you can't eat and drink, but you could work, you could wear shoes, you could bathe, physical intimacy is permitted. Good. So we'll say, so let's, let's analyze this a little bit. Says the Gemara, man yechidim, who are these individuals who are fasting the first three fast days? Amravuna, Rabbanan. These are the Rab, these are the Rabbanan. Right? Tamidi Chachamim. So the Gemara is identifying over here that who are the Yechidim? These are the Rabbanim. So Torah scholars, the Rabbanim, the leaders, these are the ones who are fasting on these first three. So the Gemara now explains the mechanics of the, of the, of the fast days. And I will say these are what we call Bahab fast days. Monday, Thursday, Monday. That's the unit of three. So the Gemara says, okay, my Kamash Malon, what's the Kiddush over here? Tanina, we learned this. In Gozrin Tainis Alatzibar Bitchilo Bechamishi, Shalom Lahavkias Hasha'arim. So I said, this is incredible. We learned this elsewhere. In general, we never start a series of fast days, communal fast days on a Thursday. Why not? Because what happens if you start communal fast days on a Thursday? You drive up prices artificially. Because we'll say, what happens on a Thursday? If people, if people are fasting on a Thursday, that means when they go to the market on Thursday, they're buying food to break their fast on Thursday night. And they're also buying food for Shabbos. When the merchants see, when the merchants see this rush, the merchants either think maybe people are hoarding, right? Maybe there's an impending famine or they just see the opportunity to price gouge, right? Either way, what it does is it artificially co- it causes prices to rise artificially. Therefore, we do not decree public fast days on a Thursday. Now, the good thing is if you started on a Monday, even though what? We're still fasting on a Thursday, a Bahab Monday, Thursday, Monday, when the merchants see people buying a lot of food, by that point in time, people already know about this series of communal fast days, and therefore the hope is that there won't be price gouging. So the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, Tanina, and goes on Tanis Altiro, Tilchamishi, Ishlav Kesham, Ella, Shalosh Tanis, Harishon, Shani, Vichamishi, Vishani, Mao, the Temoj, you have said, Hani Milit Sibor, Aval Yochilo. So you say, I might have thought, when do you not start a series of fast days on a Thursday? That's only for communal fast days. But I would have thought that for these first three, where you only have individuals fasting, you don't have a community fasting, maybe you could even what? 
also start them on a Thursday. Kamash no. The Rebbe say, whenever we institute fast days, we're never starting institutionally, institutional fast days on a Thursday. We always start them on a Monday to be cognizant of the impact of fast days on pricing. That supports this. When the individuals begin fasting, their three fast days are comprised of a Monday, a Thursday, and a Monday. Interestingly enough, however, we're going to discuss now what if during their Bahab, this is for the Yechidim, Right during during their fast days, some other event occurs. For example, Mafsiki Rosh Chadashim. We'll say, let's say in the midst of their fast days, Rosh Chodesh comes. So you're not allowed to fast on Rosh Chodesh. So they would stop their fast days for Rosh Chodesh on the days. We'll say back to Rosh Hashanah days. Right, we spoke extensively about Megillas Tainus. Megillas Tainus, remember, is the scroll Second Temple era that comprised that that contained the list. Of all days in which we'll call it, quote unquote, I hate to use this word, but I'll use this word, minor miracles. There's no such thing as a minor miracle, right? It's, it's you know, but a day on which less publicized miracles occurred, and therefore one was not permitted to eulogize and to fast on these days. So if it happens to be that Rosh Chodesh, or one of the days of Megillah's Tainus fell out during these Bahab days, we would not observe a fast on that day. So I'll say, Satan Rabbanon. So I'll say, so now we're focusing on it as follows. The first three fast days, right? The first three fast days were only observed by what we call the Yechidim, by individuals. So listen to this. So remember again, the Lashon of the Mishnah was who fasts on the first set of fast days? Yechidim. That was the Lashon over here, Yechidim, which means unique individuals. So the Gemara now says a person should not say, you know what, I'm only a Talmud, right? I'm only just a simple Jew, right? I'm, I'm a student. I am not ready to be a Yachid. I'm not ready to be, you know, a unique singular individual. Allah called Talmudi Chachamim Yechidim. That I will say, every Talmud Chacham is included in the category of Yechidim, of singularly unique individuals who would therefore be obligated to fast on the first set of three fast days. Ezu Yachid, Vezu Talmud, he says, by the way, because it's interesting, what's the difference between a Yachid and a Talmud, right? Because remember, again, the Mishnah could have said, Talmidi Chachamim fast on the first three days. But instead, it doesn't say it. It says, Yechidim. So he says, what's the difference between a Yachid and a Talmud? So the Gemara says, listen to this. Yachid kol sharo'i l'nosa parnes ala tzibor. A Yachid is someone who's fit for a leadership position. Talmud kol shesho'alim also d'var halacha b'limuda v'omer. So I will say, Talmud is someone who knows his stuff. You can ask him a question in something that he's learning, and he can answer. Even if what he's learning is Meseches Kala. You know, I will say, Meseches Kala is the Meseches Kala. It's not of the hardest Meseches, right? So the idea of here is, even if what he's learning is Meseches, he's learning an easy matter, but he knows it. He knows it. He knows his stuff. So it's interesting. So Yochid is someone who occupies, is fit for leadership, a Talmud is someone who has knowledge, who has knowledge. So very interesting. So therefore, again, it's interesting that who fasts on the first of the three fast days is interesting. So the Gemara Mishnah, who fasts? Leadership fasts, right? It's the communal leaders who fast. Now, what the Gemara is adding on over here is that a person, a person who's a Talmud Chacham, should not think 
that he's not capable of becoming a yachid. Right? Every Talmud Chacham could become a yachid. So what the Gemara seems to be saying over here is that Tamidi Chachamim would fast along with the communal leaders for these first set of three fast days. So the Gemara says, the Gemara goes, Vaita, Tarabaran, Talmud Ose. I will say, not any person who wants to make himself a yachid, a leader, should make himself a leader. But any person who wants to become a Talmud Chacham could become a Talmud Chacham. Now, what does this mean? Rashi says, So the Gemara says, right, we're talking about fasting. Not everybody who wants to take upon himself to fast with the Yechidim, with community, community leadership, should do so, should do so. But ultimately, again, whoever wants to kind of categorize himself or treat himself like a Talmud Chacham could do so. We'll see what that means. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yossi, no. Not true. Whoever wants to fast along with the Yechidim absolutely can fast with the Yechidim. And he's remembered for good. You want to fast? Go fast, right? You want to fast along with communal leadership? Of course you can fast. Now, we'll say, the idea of the Gemara is highlighting over here is as follows. What a person has to be careful about is taking on the external trappings of Talmidi Chachamim or community leaders. You know, we'll say, the Gemara is reflecting a norm. Talmidi Chachamim dressed, they had a different mode of dress. Community leadership had a different mode of dress. So for a person to adopt, just to on their own adopt that mode of dress, that might have an element of gaiva. That might have an element of arrogance. But to, let's say, want to fast along with the Yechidim, if a person wants to join into that fast, there, there's no gaiva associated with that. In fact, the Gemara says it's only tzar, it's only difficulty. So if you want to take that upon yourself, absolutely one is permitted to do so. Tanya Idok, another bright side supports this idea. Lo lasos atzmo yachid, not every person who wants to make himself a yachid, right, is permitted to do so. Yachid means, an, means, means a, a community leader, could do so. So Talmud Ose, ultimately again wants to make himself a Talmud, that the profundity in that statement. And I will say, to make yourself into a yachid, which means to make yourself into the kind of person who says, my opinion is always correct. I'm a yachid, right, whatever I say is correct, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. It's an unwise thing to do because often in life, we're not correct. But whoever wants to make themselves into a Talmud, right? What does a Talmud do? A Talmud is someone who's willing to learn from others. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. To make yourself into a Yachid and to assume you always have the answers. I always have the answers. I always know what to do. Bad idea. To make yourself into a Talmud, wonderful idea. When is this so? This is only trouble say with something that's like praiseworthy. In other words, just not praiseworthy. Something that people do for praise. So for example, like I said before, adopting the dress of a yachid, right? Adopting the dress of a leader or adopting the dress of a Talmud Chacham. That's problematic. But if you want to take upon yourself something of tzara, like fasting, that you're allowed to do. So we'll say really just an incredible, incredible yesod over here. So first of all, for our purposes, what this effectively means is that whoever wants to join with the Yechidim in the observance of the first three fast days apparently has the right to do so. You want to adopt that upon yourself? 
It goes back to what we said before, right? It goes back to what we said before, that the world was not created with the principle of equality. Different people have different roles. So the Yochid is the Yochid, and the Tam Tchacham is the Tam Tchacham, and the regular person is the regular person. No one more important, less important, different roles, different responsibilities. And what is the Gemara saying? Let's say, you know, the highlights of it's always this interesting idea of on one hand, I have to push myself to become the best version of myself, but I also have to know who I am, what I am and what I'm not. And sometimes we do ourselves a disservice when we try to cast ourselves as something that we're really not, because it prevents me from actualizing who I really am. So the Gemara says, if you're not a Yachid, don't act like a Yachid. You're not a Tam don't act like the Tam Tchacham, right? Become the best version of you instead of always trying to become someone else. Such an incredible use. So whether we realize it or not, we spend so much time often trying to become someone or something else instead of becoming the best version of of me. Person, incredible, there's much more to say about it, but we don't have time. Says the Gemara, this case. This is just a fascinating episode in general. Let's say somebody is fasting because of some type of tsara. And then what happens? The tsara comes to a conclusion. Right? I'll give you the simple example we'll see of this, which is, which is we're going to see this case. You're fasting because it's not raining, and then in the middle of a fast day, it rains. We're going to see this. It's going to be a Mishnah. We're going to see this. Or, for example, Alachola. You were davening for someone who was ill, and Baruch Hashem, and the person was healed. What do you do? So, we'll say, see now, what's the Shaila? What's the Shaila? It's 12 o'clock, right? And it's a long day. So, what's the Shaila? Can I end the fast now? The Gemara says, no. You have to go ahead and finish the fast. Now, we'll say, now, what's the pshat with this? This is fascinating. Rashi says over here, it's right across in Rashi. Because if you don't finish the fast, we'll say, it looks like that you're in the, that you're in the business of making deals with God. Saying, As if you're saying, you know, if my tila is answered, I'll fast. If it's not answered, I won't fast. There's no making deals with that Kaddish Baruch Hu. Once you commit to do something, you stay the course. So you committed to fast. Baruch Hashem, it rained. Baruch Hashem, the person was healed. Incredible, incredible. You made a commitment. You gave your word. Honor it. Finish up the fast. Which I both say, what an incredible metaphor for life. Because so often in life, we start with things. We start with things. And we start with things under a certain set of circumstances and conditions. And then what happens? The conditions or circumstances change. And often what ends up happening is we jump ship. We jump ship on our life initiatives and endeavors. We just stop trying. We're just ready to throw in the towel. So the Gemara says, you started because there was no rain. You started because there was a hole. Something changed. Finish it up. Whatever you start, finish. Whatever you committed to do, honor your word, even if the circumstances have changed. Because we'll say, you know, the, the great secret, or not so secret of life is, circumstances always change. 
right? Nothing ever remains the same from the beginning of the particular initiative until the end. But the goal in life is be a man of your word, keep to your commitments, get to the finish line. So the Gemara goes right there. Another interesting halacha. We'll say, let's say you're going from a place where they're not fasting to a place where they are fasting. A very simple idea. City A, Bar Hashem has rain. They're not fasting. You travel to city B, and in city B, they're fasting because they don't have rain. What's ta'alacha? When you get to city B, you have to continue the fast along with them. Uh, what's the opposite case? What happens if I go from my city? In my city, they're fasting because there's no rain. I go to city B, they're not fasting because there it's raining. What's ta'alacha? I have to finish up my fast. Now, I will say, essentially, the Gemara over here is highlighting something we'll see in Sechus Megillah, that whenever you travel from one place to another, you take the Minhagim, essentially, you kind of take this, the, the Chumras of both places with you. Your Minhagim travel with you wherever you go. That being said, you must also be deferential to the Minhagamakom. So let's say if in my hometown I'm not fasting, but I travel to a place where they are fasting, even though, again, my minag is not, I have to be deferential to the minag to where I am. And where I am, they're fasting, therefore I must conduct myself in that way. Conversely, if I'm not fasting, right? Good. So the Gemara says as follows. Shachach va'achal v'shasa. So we'll say, what happens if I go from a place, right? I'm not fasting in my hometown. I go to now city B, they are fasting. So I'm supposed to conduct myself as if I'm fasting. What happens if I forget, in city B, I eat and I drink something, Ultimately, again, both of the Gimars and Herds, both sometimes a person thinks, well, I already ate and drank, so I might as well just, you know, forget about the whole thing. No. Even if I made a mistake when I got to City B, I ate and I drank, still, don't, don't be public about it, right? Don't be public about it. In other words, keep your eating and your drinking to yourself. And again, refrain from any type of other physical pleasures when in the presence of the other people, residents of the city. Shneemar. And both say incredible, this week's parasha. Vayomer Yaakov Lubanov. Yaakov says to his sons, Lama Tisro. Ultimately, again, literally, why should you be seen? What does this mean? Amalam Yaakov Lubanov. Al Tiru Atzmichem Kishatem Sveim. Lo Bifne Isav, Lo Bifne Yishmok, Kedil Shlo Yiskanel. And I will say, remember again, Yaakov says to his sons, this is in the midst of regional famine. Baruch Hashem, Yaakov and his family still have food. But Yaakov says to his kids, be careful. Be careful. Go down to Egypt, get food, because the rest of the world is going down to get food. If you don't go down to get food, you're going to look like you have plenty in, in the face of everyone else who has nothing. Even though, again, they did have plenty. Yaakov Avinu is teaching us that we have to be sensitive about the brachos that we have in front of those who don't have those brachos. So we'll say, this is such an incredibly important sort of something that we have to be so careful with. There are people who struggle with all kinds of things and people don't realize it unknowingly. They quote unquote complain or discuss their brachos. So you're talking about how difficult it is to drive carpool, right? And how all the carpools, and you may be saying that to someone who's struggling with infertility, right? And what that person wouldn't give to be able to go ahead and drive carpools. They would drive all the car, they drive their neighbor's carpools. If all it just meant that they could be blessed with the bracha of children. Or sometimes again, you're speaking about an issue with your spouse. You're, you're making a joke about something. Or about a person who struggles with shiduchim. There are so many people who have not been zoche yet to be able to find their ezer kenegdo, to be able to find who they want. And it's, it's with everything. You have to be so careful in life 
about speaking about your brachas and how you speak about your brachas. Because often in life, the things that we may take for granted, someone else is yearning and pining for in such a big way. And again, if I wear my brachas on my sleeve and I just talk about my brachas like, like they're nothing, if my brachas cause pain to another Jew, it causes HaKadosh Baruch Hu to question why I have those brachos all together. So Yaakov Inu says to his sons, the world is in famine. If the world is steeped in famine, you can't go walking around like there's no problem. Go down to Egypt. Altir Gezuba Derech. I was saying that we have to stop over here. We'll pick up incredible, incredible Gemara. We're going to see tied into this week's parasha. Next week's parasha. We'll continue tomorrow. Shukayach everyone.